the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you are listening to the Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Anything that's on your heart or mind, anything that's troubling you a little bit, we'll do the very best that we can to answer those questions. In order to ask them, you can call 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button uh, on your device and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, a couple of things. Because it's Wednesday, of course, tonight we've got our Old Testament Bible study here at Calvary Chapel, Second uh, Samuel chapter 8. If you're struggling with um, spiritual warfare, if you're struggling with letting go of some things in your past, uh, boy, this is a good study for you tonight. So that's tonight here at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvarysa.com. Uh, also, of course, that means tomorrow is Paula's show, the Day Day Edition. Uh, our next two days shows are going to be coming to you from Plano, Texas. Uh, we're up there for a conference, so Paula will be with me on Thursday, as she always is. And then Friday, when you uh, uh, call in or ask questions, and it's always better because I can't take all the questions that you've sent me, uh, we'd love to have your phone calls uh, on the program on Friday. We'll be in Plano. Would appreciate your prayers. I think that's all. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. So let's start going to some questions that have been sent in. This one is from Nacho from our mobile app. Uh, Pastor Ron, I've heard you say that Jesus is in heaven in his physical body, still bearing his scars. According to Philippians three twenty one. We will also have physical bodies in heaven. I'm thinking that we will we also have physical bodies in heaven. The answer is yes. Now, here's what we know, uh, Nacho, and um, I think the details are, are, are left out. I think this is one of those things that we really have to trust God for. Um, and, and maybe it's just because we couldn't possibly understand uh, being with Jesus in heaven or even in the millennial reign. Uh, but but our body will be like his is. It doesn't mean it'll be the same body. I mean, it's it's not uh, a spirit just floating around up there. We'll have physical bodies. First Corinthians 15 talks about the body that that um, is sown will 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 evolve into this great glorious resurrected body. Now, here's what um, we don't know for sure. Um, we don't know what it'll look like. I know that we will not have the scars that Jesus has. Um, he's the only one in heaven who will bear those scars. But as his body was physical when he appeared to his disciples, so will ours be. First John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be, speaking of in heaven, has not yet been made known. 
but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So whatever his body is, minus the scars, Nacho, that's exactly what we're going to have. We also know uh, some other things. We know that uh, if we're going to be like him, we can remember when he appeared to his disciples, he could materialize through walls. He could be one place and instantly in another place. Uh, we'll be able to do the same thing. Um, we will know all things, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, and this is something that I can't explain, but though we'll know all things, we'll know as we are known by God. We're going to learn things. How can we learn things if we know in full? But that's just something that we're going to have to wrestle with until we get there. But here's the thing that we can rest with Nacho always, is heaven will be beyond our ability to comprehend. More than we could ask or imagine. Whatever we can think of in this life, the best possible picture of heaven it will be infinitely better than all of that so yes we will have physical bodies that's very very important because if we didn't have physical bodies uh, then we would be um, we'd be lost we're not going to be disembodied spirits we will have physical bodies had a question yesterday not sure you might remember about will we eat in heaven and the answer is yeah Jesus ate while he was here uh, in his glorified resurrected body Jesus ate and we will eat as well and I probably won't have to worry about what I eat or gaining weight or any of that other kind of nonsense. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Nacho. Here is a question from our mobile app from Scott. He wants to know, who is the servant in Isaiah 49, 1 through 7? Is it Paul? Um, I'm going to turn there, uh, Scott. Um, it is not the Apostle Paul for, for sure. Um, it is a messianic passage, and this is about Jesus. Now, it's another thing that's hard for us to understand. This is Jesus prophesying about himself through the prophet Isaiah. He says, before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. Now, we also know that he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. So Jesus is talking about his incarnation. It says, He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Now, when he addresses verse 3 in chapter 49 to Israel, Jesus came from Israel. He's referring to uh, his forefathers by, by virtue of his humanity. Um, but, but Jesus, he said, is the one in whom he will display his splendor. Verse 4 says, But I said I've labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. Obviously, we know that he came for his own and his own rejected him. We know that he didn't establish his kingdom the first time. He spoke, but people didn't listen. Yeah, so this is, Scott, completely messianic. It has nothing to do with um, the Apostle Paul or the nation of Israel. This is a prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it also, in verse 6... He also hints, I've told you on the radio before, that there's hints of Gentile inclusion. In verse 6, he says, I will also make you, speaking to Jesus as the Father, speaking to Son, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So what we've got is a messianic prophecy. And this was one of the problems of, the, of Jewish acceptance. Jews didn't believe that Gentiles had any part in the kingdom of God. And in this particular case, uh, Scott, um, Jesus says what he said in his own ministry. I have sheep that are not of this fold. They must also come in, referring, of course, to those of us who are non-Jews, those of us who are Gentiles. So this is really, really a great messianic prophecy of the Christ of Israel coming 
uh, in fulfillment of not only this prophecy, but many, many others. So, no, it's not the Apostle Paul. One of the problems with Isaiah, as you read it, is Isaiah skips around so much in terms of chronology, and you have to read very carefully to make sure that you're not automatically tying things into what you've already seen. But even in this particular case, Scott, the um, other prophecies uh, in, the, in the previous chapters are about uh, our Lord Jesus. So I hope that helps you, Scott. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Here is a question from our email inbox from Daniel. <clears throat> Daniel says, I've been struggling the last 10 years through my relationship with the Lord, constantly struggling with sin. Every time I give in, I hate myself, and I feel like I can't go back to the Lord. It just leaves me in this big cycle going up and down, and I don't know how to change, but I really want to change. I want to be who Jesus wants me to be, and what should I do uh, if I feel like there's no changing as much as I want to? It feels impossible. I feel like I'm not even a member of his kingdom anymore. Living in a world without Jesus is very scary. Daniel, this is one of the more important questions or, or emails that we've received uh, in a long time because what you have put into words, um, and you had a hard time putting it into words. That's the, the nature of the struggle. This is the very thing that so many others are going through. You are absolutely right. Living in a world without Jesus is very scary. The problem is if you didn't really want to live with Jesus, you wouldn't even be worried about that. So let me take this opportunity to assure you that just the exposure of your heart here is an indication that you truly do belong to Jesus. You want to do better. You want to be better. You want to be closer to him. If you weren't a part of who he was, then you wouldn't have those worries. Now, having said that, it really is time, Daniel, that you deal with your sin. I say in this program on occasion that struggling is a good thing. But at some point, you got to win the struggle. Now, we can't win it on our own. We can only win it through Christ in us, the hope of glory. But you got to get to that point where you're so tired of your sin that you don't go there before you feel the remorse. Now, I hope that makes sense to you. You know, we struggle, we struggle with temptation, and uh, and then we give in, and we feel so bad. Oh, why did we do that? I don't want to do that. Well, we've got to learn to feel that bad before we make the choice to sin. So, Daniel, keep struggling, but win the struggle. And don't focus on you. Don't focus on how you feel. Don't focus on your guilt. That is an enemy who's trying to destroy you. Focus instead on Jesus. So here's the thing, and, and this is always what worked for me. Um, I'm at the place in my walk now where I don't struggle with the things that I did as a brand new Christian. But the way to deal with these struggles is to be with Jesus in the middle of them. Understand that Jesus is with you. He loves you. He lives in you. And when you say yes to sin, if it's a besetting sin like the one that you're describing, something you've been struggling with for 10 years, what you've got to do is remember that Jesus is with you. And so instead of focusing on what you're being tempted by, focus instead on his presence. Jesus, you're with me. If I choose to do this sin again, I have to, I have to ask you to leave the room. So what I want is to be with you, Lord. Now, Daniel, it's clear that you hate your sin. But you need to hate it before you commit it. You need to spend time in your word. That will equip you to fight the temptation that comes. you got to learn who Jesus is. you got to learn how to fight these battles. But at the same time, If you're in his presence, you'll make different choices. I know how the enemy condemns. If you know your Bible, you know that Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I also think that part of the 
sinister plot of the enemy conspiring with your flesh in regard to this sin and you don't indicate what it is. But part of the struggle is identifying the temptation when it comes and its source. The devil wants to kill. He wants to destroy. He wants to steal you of the joy of being with Jesus. He is the one who immediately when you give in to that temptation condemns you. So you've got to learn to hate your sin, but you've got to learn to hate it before you commit it. You've got a purpose in your heart. I'm not going to do this again. And when you start focusing on whatever it is you're tempted to do, then you're doomed. You're going to fail. But instead, stay with Jesus. Stay focused on Him. And Daniel, when you're focused on Him, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that He'll give you a way out. But you've got to decide before the fact, I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do this. And when the temptation comes in, instead of giving in, just say, nope, Jesus, I'm with you. I don't want to do this. I think the problem is that we get tired of fighting. Sometimes I think the problem is that our fight really isn't sincere. By that I mean, we know it's wrong. I don't want to do it, but then... As soon as temptation comes, we give in to it again. When you sin, you're on your own. That's why the world's a scary place. Doesn't mean you're not saved. But Daniel, focus on your gratitude for what Christ has done. Spend some time walking with him and talking to him. The next time you are tempted, take a walk and pray. The next time you're tempted, open the Bible and pick up reading where you left off. If there's somebody in your life, a husband, wife, father, mother, brother, sister, call them and let them know. Hey, could you pray for me? I'm being tempted right now and I don't want to give in again. Make sure you're in a healthy, well-balanced church. You can't fight on your own. You need help. Commit your heart to serving, holding nothing back. And what you're going to find is that the power of the Holy Spirit will rest upon you. When you give in, we quench the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says to the Colossians, Daniel in chapter 3, the first two verses, that we just set our hearts, the place of affection, and our minds the place of decision on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. When temptation comes, our mind isn't there, our heart's not there. You've got to decide, do you love Jesus more than you love whatever the sin is that you're being tempted to do? And ten years is a long time. So Daniel, win this struggle. You can win it Romans chapter 8 remarkably says that you're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Right now, I know you'd settle for just being a regular, ordinary conqueror, but no, you're more than that. Like Paul, you can say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But it's time to win the battle. And you can't win it when you're condemning yourself, when the enemy is condemning you. Just decide that you're going to be more and more like Jesus every day. Hope that helps. Here is, let's go to Elizabeth on line one. Thank you for holding. we got a couple other calls holding, so we'll get to those uh, in just a couple of minutes. Elizabeth, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? I'm doing really well, thank you. Hi, um, I was just calling, and I wanted to know... Um, because I found like um, two or three scriptures about um, where it talks about um, animals. So I wanted to know um, like what the Bible says about the animals when they pass away, if they go um, to heaven or not. Because like, I was just wondering, because when creation was established, um, they were in the Garden of the Eden with Adam and Eve. So, And then they're referenced in Revelation 2 
where it says where um, the creature is, that is in heaven on earth and under the earth, that they'll uh, be a blessing and honor and they'll sit um, upon the throne and with the Lamb forever and ever. So I wanted to know, like, um, your um, biblical education on that. Like, is it just a metamorph or is it actual? Okay, I can do that, Elizabeth. Thank you very, very much. Um, the 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 um, the creation. When you said the creature, the creation is it just a reference to created beings? That's you and me and and other people. Now, regarding animals, animals when they die, they just cease to exist. Genesis says that we were created in the image of God. Now, two things that that being created in the image of God represents, Elizabeth. The first thing is that. Uh, we have uh, the, the, the ability to make choices. We can choose of our own free will who we're going to serve. Uh, just as God chose us, we can choose him. But the second area, and this pertains to your question, that we are made in the image of God, is that once we are born, we're eternal. Once we're formed in our mother's womb, we're eternal beings. We're going to live forever somewhere. Um, animals aren't said to have been made in the image of God. So when you see, for instance, dinosaurs and other species uh, that go extinct, we, we commonly get uh, news stories about uh, um, certain animals, uh, species uh, on the verge of extinction. Um, they just cease to be. They're God's gift um, to us here. If you're speaking specifically about pets, um, we can learn so much about God from pets and we can learn so much to be like Jesus by the way we care for our pets. But they're God's gift to help us enjoy this world that we live in. Uh, other animals, of course, do a lot of work and they have great value. But uh, truth is, when they die, they just cease to exist. So there will be no animals in heaven at all. Um, I know people say, well, what about the horses in in uh, Revelation, we're going to come back on horses. Um, that's a metaphor, uh, a metaphor. Or, or John's audience would have understood that uh, when when kings were riding on horses, it was a time of war, and so it, we're coming back to make war on a world that's rejected Jesus. So there won't be animals um, uh, in the millennium. Of course, there will be. They'll still be on earth, and the earth will be redeemed. But in heaven, the new heaven, the new earth. Uh, following Jesus' thousand-year reign here, uh, then and only then um, will there be animals in heaven. There won't be. Hope that helps. Let's go to Bernie on line two. Jarrett. Jarrett, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Yes, thanks, Pastor Ron. First off, I just want to tell you what a joy it is to get to listen to you on my way home from work. I really enjoy your <laughs> show. Um, Thank question you. question I have for you. Um, can you walk me through your interpretation of the prophecy of the temple being rebuilt in uh, Jerusalem and just, just your overall take on that? I can. Um, Jarrett, do you listen on the radio? Because we're inside about uh, coming up to three minutes for the break, and this will probably take me a little bit of time over. And then, Ray, we've got you holding on line three. Please, uh, please call back. Okay. Uh, Jarrett, the temple in Israel... Um, we know is going to be rebuilt. We know there's going to be uh, sacrifices reinstituted. Now, here's what's going to happen. Uh, it happens, um, according to Daniel chapter 9, uh, in the time of the Great Tribulation. Um, we know that the first half of the Great Tribulation will be a time of, of great peace. Um, at least that's the way it will appear on the surface of things. The man that we call the Antichrist is going to ascend very rapidly, meteorically so, uh, into a, a position of power. And and it's um, my very firm contention that the way he's going to do that is by um, measuring the temple. We've got Ezekiel, we've got Zechariah, we've got others who are measuring the temple grounds. And what they're going to find, you know, there is a, a Muslim mosque um, right there on uh, what's thought to be the old location of Solomon's temple. But when it's measured, they're going to find that Solomon's temple sits just on the uh, side of that mosque, and um, the Antichrist is going to negotiate a deal. You know, there's never been peace in the Middle East. 
Uh, he's going to negotiate the very first completely comprehensive peace deal, and he's going to find a way to build Solomon's Temple or rebuild Solomon's Temple on that sacred piece of ground right next to the, 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 the Muslim mosque. And the world is going to uh, hail him as the great peacemaker. Um, it will be rebuilt um, at some point in the middle of the Great Tribulation. Um, the Antichrist is going to demand to be worshipped. Of course, Jews will not do that, and that's when the, 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 the worst of the Great Tribulation, the second half of the Great Tribulation, takes place. But there will be a temple rebuilt. We know it for sure. Um, there are groups in Israel already. Um, the Temple Mount Faithful um, is just one group, but there's already um, items uh, being being built and being stored up and prepared for that time. Um, but it's not going to happen until the Great Tribulation. But yes, there is going to be a temple rebuilt in Israel um, where sacrifices can occur again and things will at least appear to revert to the way they were before. Thank you, Jared. I appreciate the question. appreciate your nice comment. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Toll free, you can call us at 877-630-5757. You're listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We will be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our wednesday program um 340-9585 is the number for your live calls and questions let's take a question that came in anonymously uh this is the kind of question i like by the way uh, he or she says, how can I increase my faith? It seems like trusting God is harder for me than for most people. Anonymous, trusting God is a process. You have to give God a chance to show off for you. You've got to give God a chance to move. I think part of the problem is that um, we take matters into our own hands too quickly. You know, we're waiting for an answer to prayer instead of waiting for it. Uh, we've got a problem that we think we have a human solution for instead of waiting for God to give you his solution from heaven. Uh, we just sort of make the decision that seems best to us. And we're always going to be in a difficult place when we do that. We're always putting ourselves at odds against the Lord. So increasing your faith is sort of like um, um, the principle of a weightlifter or a bodybuilder. Nobody starts out with a lot of muscles. Nobody starts out with a lot of strength. So you lift a little weight at first, and then you lift it until it's not so hard anymore, and then you increase the weight and you keep lifting it. Um, uh, and, and as you um, persevere, then you get stronger and stronger. Well, faith is a muscle, a spiritual muscle that needs to be exercised. You've got to get to that place where you're asking God to answer your questions. You're asking the Lord what you should do next. You're asking Jesus, where does he want me to serve? Um, and as you're faithful in those things, God will begin to reward your faith. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, we're told. And so the way to diligently seek him is to walk with him. Now, let me give you just some examples. Um, opportunity comes up for a new job. And you say, well, it's more money and seems like God's opening a door. Well, how about waiting until God tells you to go? I, I find it amazing that people don't ask God what they should do. They just sort of wait and see, uh, you know, using the open door, closed door uh, system of, of determining God's will, which is going to fail always. How about if you're single and you're tired of being single and you're tired of waiting for somebody? So instead of waiting for the one God brings, you go on an online dating app. Or you go somewhere and find somebody who you're attracted to and you take matters into your own hands. Well, see, that's not trusting the Lord. Uh, money uh, is another good example. 
um, instead of giving to your church, you, you're sort of, well, I've got to pay this bill or I've got to do this first. And if there's anything left over, I'll give it to God. That's not trusting the Lord. So the thing that you do is you step out in faith. The problem is where the Bible says we're to walk by faith and not by sight. Most of us walk by sight instead of by faith, hoping that it's okay with God. And I got to tell you, Anonymous, um, God's asked me to do some crazy, crazy things that made absolutely no sense. And everyone seems to get increasingly more difficult. Truth is, we're ready for whatever God is going to ask us. And we've got to believe that. So what we do is we wait and wait and wait, and when God says move, we move. Now, obviously, to do that, you're going to have to be a man or a woman of the Word. God is most often going to speak to you in His Word, through His Word. He will confirm the decisions that you're struggling with. But you've got to stand firm. Paul says, be immovable. It's just sort of flexing our spiritual muscles a little bit more each and every day. Um, I'll say something to you, Anonymous, that I hope makes sense to you. You know, when uh, we first came to Texas uh, 23 years ago, the little tiny steps of faith that God was asking us to take for for Paula and for me, um, they were steps that were, believe it or not, so hard and yet I was so zealous for the God, I didn't, for the Lord, I didn't dare think about not doing it. I weighed the consequences. I had to say, well, Lord, if, if this doesn't go right, I'm going to feel like a fool. It had to be okay with me to possibly be perceived as a fool. But every time, every time God showed off, and I mean, I have been in some scary places, and even 23 years later, I find myself right now today in the scariest place ever. But I'm not going to refuse to take those steps of faith because I'm scared. I'm going to take them because God has shown that he is faithful who made those promises. It requires, again, being a man or woman of the word. It requires being a man or woman of prayer. But it requires a whole bunch of resolve. Lord, no matter what anybody says, no matter what the circumstances look like, I'm going to walk with you. I call it being stubborn in a godly way. I've set my face as flint to follow Jesus. And if you'll do that, your faith will grow. Now, the gift of faith is a universal gift. Every believer has a measure of faith. If you want that measure of faith to grow, it has to be exercised. Hope that helps. I'll be praying for you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. One other comment on that, Anonymous. I can't imagine what my life would be like if I was doing what was safe or what seemed right to me or what made sense. God will never ask you to do something foolish, but he'll let you know it's foolish not to do what he asks. Now, the fact that it may seem foolish to us, the fact that we may be criticized, or even the fact that others will tell you, oh, that's not from God. I got to tell you, hang in there and trust him. And once God starts blessing you, believe me, you won't be able to wait for the next step of faith. Here is a question from Devin. He says, I know a woman who is always prophesying over people. She says she has the gift. How do you feel about that? And should I listen to what she says God is speaking to her about me? Uh, Devin, this is one of my pet peeves. So um, forgive me if I go a little bit overboard here. Um, there are no prophets. And it is it's an amazing thing when people would dare to speak for God. Somebody can, and you use the word always prophesying over people. That's a woman who has no fear of God. 
you know, the devil behind this. It's not that she's not a believer. I'm not suggesting that. I don't even know her. But when God speaks to you, Devin, he'll talk to you about you. If he was really speaking to this woman, he'd be talking to her about how dare you misrepresent me. The gift of prophecy is not being a prophet. The gift of prophecy is not in any way, shape, or form telling people what God says. The gift of prophecy is a gift that encourages, it edifies, which is to strengthen the people that you're speaking to. And it's for the good of not only the person you're speaking to, but for the good of the body. So we get these hyper-spiritual types, men or women, who are saying, well, thus saith the Lord, or God told me to say this to you. They have no fear of God. None whatsoever. And so should you listen to what she's saying? God is saying to her about you? The answer is absolutely not. You open your Bible, God will speak to you. He knows your heart. He knows where you live. He knows how to contact you. He doesn't need to send somebody else. So it's very important you understand this is a woman who's out of order. It's, it's intoxicating to feel like, well, God's speaking to me about other people. And I've had a lot of people tell me they have that gift. That is not a biblical gift whatsoever. This is not the Old Covenant. This is not um, a string of Old Testament prophets saying, thus saith the Lord. It is a completely different construct in the New Testament. Now, having said that, Devin, let me give you one slight exception here. Um, if God has been speaking to you about something and he's been knocking on the door of your heart, and you haven't paid attention, you haven't listened, you haven't taken action, it is quite likely that God would send somebody to you. He would do it in a spirit of meekness and humility. And they would say, you know, I was praying for you the other day, and you know, the Lord put something on my heart, so you judge whether it's from the Lord or not. Um, I just feel like I need to share this with you, and then we'll go, and then you can say it. If it's... if if it's something that God's been dealing with you on that you've been resisting. Well, then you need to listen because that's something that God is using to get your attention. But under no other circumstance is somebody going to come up and say, God gave me a word for you. I know in our sort of crazy, charismatic church environment, it feels so good to speak for God. But again, those are people without a healthy fear of God. So, Devin, I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Daniel. And Daniel, by the way, this question I asked some of our kids. You know, I told you before in the program that we have uh, a bunch of kids that come in here and pray for this radio show and pray for you guys every day before the show kicks off. And they come in, and, and the, the older kids, fifth and sixth grade, they want to read the new questions that have come in and try to answer them. Well, here is a question from uh, Daniel. What's the best way to make a church grow? I asked them this question, and uh, their answers were interesting. Let me give you my answer. The best way to make a church grow is not to try. The best way to make a church grow isn't to have a kick and worship team. The best way to make a church grow is to do your job. Whatever your role, Daniel, you don't say whether you're a pastor or you're called to be a pastor. But if you're a pastor, take Jesus' counsel to Peter. Feed my sheep, tend my flock, feed my sheep. That's the way. You know, we pastors, we take way too much credit. If we got a big church, it's suddenly, we think we're the anointed one. If we got a small church, we bigger church pastors look at the smaller church pastors like, well, you just don't know what you're doing. All you got to do is let God add daily to the church such as with being saved. That's the model from Acts chapter 2. There's no way we've ever improved on that model, and in the name of trying to make our churches grow, we've made some horrible decisions. We've turned church into entertainment centers. All we have to do is 
do what God told us to do. Let him bring other people around who will do what God told them to do. And in that situation, what they'll be doing is consistent with the vision that God has given the pastor of that church. And then the church grows, and it grows as big as Jesus wants it to grow. No bigger, no smaller. The problem is when we take over and we try to market our church, we take church growth marketing techniques and try to implement them because, well, the guy down the street's being blessed and we're not. Maybe some of us, we just get tired of the church being a third full. Get tired of the financial struggles because there's not enough people coming. And so what we do is we take over. We, we, we do worldly things to market God's church. And it's just something that should never be done. Daniel, let me tell you what we've done here at Calvary Chapel over all these years. I have never spent one minute, nor have I spent one dime, trying to make this church grow. I just do my part. My part is to teach the Bible, to pray for the people, and to love them. And when I'm doing my part faithfully, then God's able to bring people around me who will do their part. And then what you find is a healthy church. Well, sheep reproduce. They go get others. I'm the least exciting guy as a pastor or preacher that you've ever heard. I just teach the passage. This is what it says. This is what it means. This is how you can use it. And I do that week after week. I've done it week after week for 23 years. And I still have a sense of awe, Daniel. When Jesus and I go walking very early Sunday mornings before church ever starts, still dark outside, one of the things that I'm always aware of I thank him because, Lord, there's going to be people come to hear me teach your word today. Our church is going to be full today. And I'm in awe of that. And I didn't do one thing to accomplish it. If we use worldly means to grow a church, then we end up taking credit for it. When that happens, we're no longer in the spirit. And at some point, our strength is going to wear out. So the best way to make a church grow is be faithful with what God has called you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. One other thing, Daniel, and again, you asked the question, I don't know whether you're a pastor, called to be a pastor. But the only thing that, that, that I can say that I've done well in all these years is that I never tried to do more than we had the people to do. I never said, well, we're going to start a church, so we're going to have a, 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 a thriving children's ministry. I never said, well, we've we got to have a great worship team, so I'm going to hire some musicians. never did any of those things. Uh, you know, Paula sang a cappella when we started until people showed up who could play musical instruments. We just never did anything. When somebody said to me, well, you should have a children's ministry. Well, are you volunteering? If the answer was no, we still didn't have one. We hired babysitters for the first couple of years to watch the kids while we, who are adults, were worshiping and being taught the Bible. And they meant a lot of people came and didn't come back. But I'd rather do the one thing I do well rather than doing a whole bunch of other stuff poorly because that would dishonor the Lord. So, Daniel, I hope you can make sense of that answer. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, let's go to Paul's question. Uh, Paul says, how can anyone be sure of their salvation when Jesus said few actually find the road to salvation? Well, Paul, it's not about those who don't find it. 
I think the reality is that we've got to understand that, that very few people are going to choose to stop sinning and let Jesus forgive them and walk with him. The flesh and the lure of temptation is too strong. What Jesus was saying there is that while salvation is available to everyone, there's few who are going to make that choice. So, Paul, what you need to do is just make sure you make the right choice. Once you ask Jesus into your heart, once you walk with him by the power of the Spirit in obedience, you're going to know you're saved. I know I'm saved. I'm pretty sure Paul is saved. But everybody else, that's between them and the Lord. I can't guarantee anybody's salvation. Here's what I can say, that when you truly give your heart to Jesus Christ, when you meet him as Lord and Savior, you change, your life becomes new. If your life looks like the old life before you claim to have met Jesus, you really haven't met him at all. At that moment that you really believe, he gives you deposit. The Holy Spirit in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, and the Spirit bears witness to whom we belong. Jesus said this, Paul, he said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. And in the process of abiding in Christ, every believer who's abiding in Christ has assurance of their salvation. Doesn't mean the enemy doesn't lie to him and doesn't try to cause doubts. But every single believer who's walking with Jesus, abiding in him, well, Jesus has promised to abide in us and through us. And what that means is very simple. We know who we belong to. And we've never had the question. I'm 27 years in the Lord, 28 years now. I'm not good at math here off the top of my head. 27, 28 years. 1991, so that's 27 years. I've never had a moment's doubt about my salvation. Now, I know people who have doubts all the time, and when they have doubts, I ask them, so tell me about your walk with the Lord, and they're really not walking with Him at all. So I have no problem at all knowing to whom I belong. Let's go to Shirts, Texas, and now talk with Jim on line one. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yeah, hi, Pastor Ron. Uh, hey, I just hi, wanted hi, to uh, comment uh, on um, the last remark you were making about uh, church growth. You know, um, I'll tell you, as, as, a, as a recent uh, seminary graduate, I, I've noticed, and as an older guy, uh, I've, I've noticed not only the same thing about the the church growth that some pastors want to do, but also a problem is that sometimes Christians will measure themselves against mm-hmm. the performance of other Christians, and they're going to, oh, yep. well, I'm not uh, leading this study group, or I'm not involved in this project, and um, and uh, or, or uh, Sunday school teachers like, oh, my 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 Sunday school class is too small. And uh, boy, I just wish I had, you know, and how we could grow the class. And I, and I, and I sometimes say, you know, you get the sheep that the master shepherd sent you, and even if it's only one, you should take and and be just so pleased that he's entrusted one to you because that may be the one that he has been after forever. So it doesn't matter if it's one or five or ten or a hundred. One is meaningful. Mm-hmm. That was my comment. Yeah, Jim, great comment. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm uh, thrilled that you uh, take it on seminary and, and uh, be interested in learning what you're going to do uh, with it, what God's next step for you is. A couple of things I'd like to comment on. You know, First Corinthians 4.2 says that it's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. And in those small beginning times, you know, don't despise the day of small things, we're told in the Word. In those early days, those are tests. God is simply saying, can I trust you with people that I really love? And he's given you a chance to exercise your faith. He's given you a chance to grow in the grace and knowledge of who He is so that in the process you can become more like Him 
again so they can trust you with more people. But not every church is supposed to be a big church. And when we get antsy to have a big church, then we lose focus on, as you said, those that God has given you. You know, the Bible says if you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in many things. But the testing always begins with those little things. And I've always done my best, and I'm sure there are times that I've failed, but I've always done my best, Jim, to to make sure that whether I had one person, and there have been a few times way at the beginning where only one person showed up other than Paula. Poor Paula, she was stuck. She had to come and listen. But there were times when there would only be one other person. And if I said at that time, well, you know, why don't we just kind of wrap it up and we'll come back next week and maybe people will show up, then I would be ignoring the, the, the one that God brought. And so I've always tried to do my best, whether there's a lot of people in the crowd or a few people in the crowd, to teach it like it was going to be the last message I ever taught. I want Jesus to say, well done, when I'm all finished with this. And if I'm always looking for more, if I would do better with a crowd of a thousand than I would do with a crowd of a hundred, then I'm not being faithful to the Lord. It's very important that we pass those early tests. Let me say this as well, Jim. There's a lot of people that live in very small towns, out-of-the-way places, who love Jesus with all their heart. Do they not deserve a pastor or shepherd who's just as committed to them as a pastor of a mega church. We need to love the people that God brings before us. When you, you can love them, and when you teach them, God will bring more. And God added David to the church, such as we're being saved. Hey, pray for us. We're on our way to Plano, Texas uh, tomorrow for a conference. Our program will be broadcast live from there. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll see you tomorrow, 4 o'clock. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.